So we are going to be there in our passage, as you already know, Luke 9. I hope you will, uh, hope you'll turn there, and we'll stay right there. So if you turn your Bible to the uh, ninth chapter of the Gospel of Luke, I'm not going to ask you to turn anywhere else. Just stay right there with me. We'll study these verses for the uh, next little while today. I'm glad you're here. It's good to see you, and we appreciate the opportunity we have to, uh, to be here together. I, I meant to mention one thing earlier when I got up here at the beginning, and that is um, just kind of church family stuff. We've got a, are excited about another uh, blood drive, another opportunity to partner with Red Cross and giving blood. That's coming up on November the 7th. This will be uh, our congregation's seventh time to, uh, to partner with Red Cross in this way. We've given 215 units of blood, which is pretty, uh, pretty cool. And I think Marla is in the lobby today, and you can sign up. There are still several slots for that day, November 7th. I hope you'll uh, take advantage of that. Uh, we've always responded really well to that and this opportunity we have to serve our community. So, um, so please be thinking about that. So, this passage, Luke 9, what is he doing? What is Jesus doing? I mean, really, if Jesus were a church consultant, church growth consultant, he probably wouldn't be very effective, at least not the way we perceive church growth, right? Because what it seems like he's doing is pushing people away you got these people who, at least it seems on the surface, they come to him and they say, Lord, I want to be one of yours. I'm going to follow you wherever you go. And he says, no, I don't think so. I don't think you're ready for this. And that's it, right? I mean, it seems like that's it, at least as far as this passage is concerned. He just says, uh, he says, you know, I don't have anywhere to sleep. Turns the next one, he says, follow me. And the guy says, yeah, I want to go, I want to go bury my father. And, and uh, Jesus says, no. The other one says, I want to go, let me, let me go say, buy folks at home. Seems pretty reasonable, you know? And Jesus says, no, 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 you, 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 need, you need to follow me. I want, to, I want us to go through these, these three, we're going to do this part fairly quickly. I, I want to walk through these three, three people Jesus speaks to, and then we're going to kind of come back here and we're going to talk to us as a church about what this means, and people who are visiting with us, and joining us people joining us online. Uh, there's, this is a tough word. This is a tough word to, to hear, but it is a necessary word. And in our day and time, I think, uh, I always tend to think that, there's a special way in which this ought to be heard by this particular moment, you know, in, in the life of our culture, and perhaps in the life of us as a church in that culture. A word about discipleship. So let's go through it together. He, he talks to the first one. Well, the first one comes up to him, actually. The first and the third initiate the conversation with Jesus. They're going along the road. Someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. I mean, that sounds great. And that's something that many of you in this room have said. You said this before. I've said this before. Lord, I want to follow you wherever that goes. Right? When, before you went down into the waters of baptistry here or somewhere else, you said to Jesus Christ, I am going to follow you wherever you go, Lord. I want to be yours. Somebody took your confession. You said, I believe. That's what you're saying. I've, I follow him. I'm going to identify with Jesus Christ as my Lord, as my Savior, and I'm going to walk with him no matter what. And they, they, you said that, something like that. Baptized you as a public act. You know, this, 
This is what's going on in, in the life. You're dying. You're saying, I'm, I'm not going to follow my own desires anymore. I'm going to follow His. I'm dying, being raised up to walk in this new life. Sins washed away by the blood of Christ. You know the story of conversion that so many in this room and so many online have, have experienced. I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Now, a little background here. <clears throat> a little background might, might help us to hear this, might help us to read this. Uh, in, a, in a healthy way. Go back up, if you would, a few verses to verse 51. Now, in Luke, Luke, I think Luke in some ways does some pretty cool things that Matthew, Mark, and John don't. Now, they do different cool things. Each, each one has his own way of telling the story of Jesus that speaks to us in different ways. And Luke has his own way. And, and, and this is one of the things I think is pretty awesome about the way Luke does it. So starting here in Luke 9, in verse 51, and going through Luke 19. So the, the bulk of the, the book. Basically, the end of chapter 9 all the way through uh, most of chapter 19. Um, Luke has, Luke includes what people who study the Gospel of Luke often call the travel log, or they call it the travel narratives. That's what this whole section it's like 10, 10 chapters or so, the travel log. Because in those 10, 11 chapters, Luke frames the story of Jesus with this view toward Jesus is going to Jerusalem. Look at verse 51. When the days drew near for him to be taken up. Wait, what's that talking about? We're in Luke 9, right? Luke's got 24 chapters. We're not even halfway there yet. When the days drew nigh for him to be taken up. Now, that's a reference to that's the reference to the ascension. That's going to happen at the, in, the, in Luke 24, right? And preceded by the resurrection, which was preceded by the death of Jesus. So you get the last few chapters of Luke that deal with this. But Luke, in chapter 9, he says, the days are getting close. You need to listen up. You need to pay attention because the days are getting close, and he's going to be taken up. And so it says this. This is a very important phrase. All right? you, this is one you kind of pass over, but it, it's very important. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And Luke 9, 10, 11, 12, all the way to 19, he's going to Jerusalem. Now, it's interesting though, because in those chapters, sometimes he goes south of Jerusalem. Sometimes he goes north up into Galilee. He goes all around. Sometimes he'll, you know, he goes to this place, he goes to this place, does some teaching, does some miracle work, he does a lot of stuff. But in the way that Luke is telling us this story about Jesus, his face is set toward Jerusalem. I am going to Jerusalem. That's where, that's where this journey is going to end. And then, here, and so many times in this travel narrative, Luke tells us that Jesus will stop. He does it. We're not going to look at them. Maybe we will later. We've looked at them before. But he'll stop, like Luke 12, for example, Luke 14. He'll stop and he'll, it's almost like just out of the blue, he'll stop and he'll say, uh, I'm going to, when I get to Jerusalem, I'm, they're, they're going to they're gonna arrest me and they're going to spit on me and they're going to flog me and they're going to crucify me. But on the third day, I'll be raised. It just stops. And then, and then and it'll say stuff like, if you're going to follow me, you need to remember where I'm going. If you're going to follow me, 
If you're going to follow me, you've got to be willing to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Now we read that, we know what the cross is, we know what that means for Christians, but they're hearing that before the cross. And he's saying to them, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to die there, and you guys, you better get your cross, your instrument of torture, your, your, the, the, the symbol of execution in the Roman Empire, the horrible symbol of shame and, and pain and just the worst end that a person could experience. You pick that up and come on, let's go. We're going to Jerusalem. He set his face to go to Jerusalem. And verse 57, as they were going along the road. So you've got to read this. You've got to read this in, this in this context of what Luke is doing for us here. He's, his mind is on Jerusalem. Now, sometimes he's going to go south and sometimes he's going to go north. But his face is going to Jerusalem. That's where his goal lies, right? So with that context, somebody said, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said... Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests. I, I don't have anywhere to sleep. Now, again, a little bit more context here about what's going on in the world at that time. Um, there were these rabbis, these, uh, these, these teachers, Jewish teachers, and they would accumulate disciples, and part of that was they would follow them around. And uh, they would rabbi out front, teacher out front, disciples in the back, and periodically he'd stop, they'd sit down, they'd talk, you know, he'd teach them. That was, that was becoming a follower of a rabbi, follower of a teacher. And it was good. And, and to a certain extent, Jesus did that with his disciples. And he was a rabbi in, in that sense. He was a teacher. He taught them. He did a lot of that. But that's not all he was. He, he wants them to know, this is not like what you're thinking. I'm not just another rabbi that you can become a part of my band of disciples and we'll walk around and we'll talk and we'll reflect on deep things and I'll teach you some good stuff and all that. That's not what this is. That's not only what this is. Something more than that. I am not just a rabbi teacher, but the language here is prophetic language. I am more than just a teacher. I'm a prophet. Because, see, what he says here is, I don't have anywhere to sleep. These, these, these Jewish rabbis, that was, that was a calling. It was a, it was a commitment to follow the rabbi. But it was not this kind of commitment. The commitment to follow a prophet like this is, we don't know where we're going to be sleeping. We don't, we don't, have, any, we don't have any possessions. We, you know, we, we're going to depend on the free will offerings of the people around us. We, we don't have anything. I don't have anywhere to sleep. I don't have anywhere to live. Are you ready for that? And I think that's symbolic of Jesus looking in, the, in this person's heart and saying to him, you, if you're going to be one of my disciples, you need to be committed to what that means. And we'll come back. And think about that a little bit more in a minute. Look at the, look at the next one, though, verse 59. To another he said, follow me. But, but he said, here's his, here's his answer. Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Let me first go and bury my father. Which to me sounds quite reasonable. Quite, quite reasonable, don't you think? Uh, and, and, in, and in the culture, that sounds very reasonable. This is, this is something to be expected. In, uh, in, in Jewish culture, it was an obligation of children to bury their parents and to take charge of this. I mean, this was, not, this was a high obligation. This was something you did not neglect, uh, culturally speaking. So let me first go and bury my father. He's simply saying, let me honor the traditions of my people. And, and Jesus was respectful of those traditions. It was a part of his tradition as well, to, to honor your father in that way. To bury your father. But Jesus says, 
leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And you know, I think this sounds harsh to us, and it is a little bit harsh. It is a little bit direct, but I think we need to read it in the context of what Jesus teaches elsewhere. And you may remember that elsewhere Jesus says to people, he says, you know what? If you come after me and you aren't willing to hate your family, hate your parents, siblings, spouse, kids, all of it, you cannot be my disciple. Remember that when he says that? I think that's exactly what he's saying here. He's saying, I know you've got this important Jewish tradition, you've got this important thing, this obligation, and that's cool. That's fine, right? But if you're going to follow me, then you're going to have to be willing even to go against certain traditions, even to go against your family at times, because your relationship to me is going to be characterized by total, full allegiance, and if you aren't willing to do that, then you aren't ready to be my disciple. This is hard stuff here. I don't want to water this down, because I want us to hear it as Jesus meant it. I don't want to say, well, he said that, but he meant something else. He didn't actually mean something else. <laughs> I'm not going to water this down, because I, I, I don't think I have that right. I don't, I don't think I can do that. He said, leave the dead to bear their own dead. You can forsake the, you can, you, if you're going to be one of my, my followers, Jesus is saying, then it's going to be more important than, to you than your family. And if you're not ready for that, so be it. You seek the kingdom. You go and proclaim the kingdom. Here's number three. Another said, I will follow you, Lord. But let me first say farewell to those at my Home. I will follow you, Lord, but, uh, but, I want to go say bye to folks at home. And again, to my 21st century ears, that sounds quite reasonable. Probably does to yours as well. Let me just go say bye. What's the big deal? Just going to wave. To, you know, like, say, hug my mom. Hug my dad. Whatever. I'm just going to go say bye. You know. Sounds quite reasonable. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. And the background of that is in the Old Testament book of 2 Kings with Elisha, one of the prophets, when he was called to be a prophet of God. And he was plowing. And he, <laughs> yeah, he realized what the call was because Elisha turned his back on his plowing, burned it all up. Because he understood that the call to be a prophet, the call to be a disciple, is one that involves forsaking everything else. And so Jesus says, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. You need to understand, he's saying to them, maybe with a little bit of hyperbole here, uh, not watering this down, but, but, but acknowledging that Jesus does use some hyperbole at times to make a point. But that point is very important. That point is, look, being a follower of Jesus is all-consuming. All-consuming. How do we hear this as 21st century Christians? 21st century Americans. How do we hear this? I think, um, I think man, it's interesting, isn't it, to reflect on our world, the world around us, the world we live in. And to an extent, the kind of a, a spirit that is part of us all. All of us, I think I'm speaking for all of us, maybe most of us, maybe all of us, uh, I like convenience. We like convenience, you know. We like convenience. Um, before I lie down, when I lie down at night, here's what I say. I say, Alexa, wake me up at 6 a.m. Because... It's a lot of trouble to roll over 
and set an alarm clock. You know, like people did in the time of the dinosaurs. You know what I mean? I mean, you know, people used to have to do that. They used to have to actually set their alarm clocks. But I can say, like I did last night, Alexa, wake me up. In fact, actually, Melanie will tell you. I actually tell Alexa to wake me up at three different times uh, in case the first one doesn't work. You know, that's a pretty convenient thing. And Alexa has never let me down. She's never let me down a single time. Always wakes me up. We've got, we've got at home, uh, and some of you do this, have this too, we've got a Roomba. You know what a Roomba is? A Roomba is a little vacuum cleaner that'll vacuum your house for you. You don't have to stand behind it and do it like they did it in the olden times, right? You don't have to push the thing. You just room, and, and I think there are smarter ones. Our Roomba is, is a little challenged in some ways. Um, <laughs> We, we like to joke about our room, but being like a two-year-old who just goes around looking for trouble to get into, and she'll find, or he, I don't know what his gender is, but they'll go around and they'll find, they'll find um, like cords. She'll find some cords and get, get all tangled up. But they, 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 I understand that some of them are so smart now, they kind of learn the layout of your house, and they'll go around and they'll vacuum, and they learn, you know, they learn to make the layout of your house. Um, Amazon is producing this robot thing. Have you heard about the robot? I hear the robot is not terribly smart yet, but I think probably it's coming that, that man, we're going to have things that we can't even imagine now, that we can just program it on our phone and so many, you know, give me a, give me a cup of water, whatever. We live, seriously, we live in a time of amazing convenience, don't we? And we like it. We, I love what I can do with my phone. So many things are programmable now where we can just speak. We don't even have to, we don't even have to touch our phones. Hey Siri, hey Google or whatever, just do this for me, you know? Matter of convenience. And, and it's, it's to a point now we are so dependent on these things that when, it, when the internet goes down for 30 minutes or an hour or a couple hours at home or when we don't have our satellite TV or streaming service isn't available to us or when Roomba gets tangled up in cords, we're like, ah, oh, that's ridiculous. Life is so hard, you know. One of the, one of the negative things, and, and you, you know this, is that we bring that kind of mentality to the church. We, we bring it to Christ. We bring it. We don't even know that we're doing it, but we, we come to Jesus and we hear what he says and we filter it through this lens. This, we see it through this lens of comfort. Because we think this ought to be comfortable always. Because that's the way we want to live our lives. And so we arrange our lives according to what makes me the most comfortable what makes my life the easiest right and we simply cannot hear what Jesus says when we think like that we can't I read an article yesterday I mentioned it to Melanie last night I think uh, just popped up you know I get emails from different news services and I want to read you a little bit of this article okay it, it uh, drew my attention for for obvious reasons. But the title of the article is in the New York Times was American Missionaries Kidnapped in Haiti, officials say. That was the title of the article. Maybe you saw it. 
drew my attention, probably would have drawn, maybe it did draw yours. If you saw something, something about this, uh, our attention for a number of reasons, you know, many of us in this church have gone on short-term missions. We've, uh, we've got folks there now. We support various missionaries. Uh, we have dug, uh, we've sponsored Walk for Waters, which is, we're doing another one a month from now, by the way. We'll start talking about that soon. And, um, and, and some of that money that we've raised has gone to dig wells in Haiti. You know, some of you in this room have been to Haiti. I've never been. And so there are a lot of reasons why a headline like that might catch our attention, right? American missionaries kidnapped in Haiti, officials say. Here's, let me just read you some excerpts from it. As many as 17 Christian missionaries from the United States and their family members, including children, were kidnapped on Saturday, yesterday, by a gang in Port-au-Prince as they were leaving an orphanage, according to Haitian security officials. Details of the kidnapping remain unclear, but local officials said the missionaries were abducted from a bus headed to the airport to drop off some members of the group before continuing to another destination in Haiti. Haiti's been in a state of political upheaval for years, and kidnappings of the rich and poor alike are alarmingly common. But even in a country accustomed to widespread lawlessness, the abduction of such a large group of Americans shocked officials for its brazenness. Violence is surging across the capital. By some estimates, gangs now control roughly half of the city. On Monday, last Monday, gangs shot at a school bus in Port-au-Prince, injuring at least five people, including students, while another public bus was hijacked by a gang as well. Security has broken down as the country's politics have disintegrated, preventing the sick from getting treatment in hospitals, children from attending school, workers from going to the rare jobs available, and even stopped electricity from flowing in parts of the country. Since then, gangs have become only more assertive. They operate at will, kidnapping children on their way to school and pastors in the middle of delivering their services. It goes on. Near the end of the article, it says this. Parts of the Haitian capital, including where the kidnappers occur, kidnappings occurred, are so dangerous that many residents have fled, leaving once bustling streets nearly abandoned. Many of the streets have been surrendered to the gangs with few pedestrians venturing out even during the day. That's the article. <clears throat> when, I, uh, when I read that, you know what my first thought was? Why are they there? What are you doing in Port-au-Prince? What are you doing with your kids in Port-au-Prince right now? A couple of years ago, uh, we were talking uh, because of the wells we've dug in Haiti. I was talking to, you know, Healing Hands, um, Colton Scott, who's, who's been here multiple times and is part of the uh, Walk for Water thing that thing we do. I was talking to Colton about going to Haiti, you know, and... And, and maybe at some point in the future, at that point, two or three years ago, at some point, going down and being able actually to, to, to check on these wells, you know, go to these communities. And, and when I was, I was, of course, stuff has, has gone south in Haiti a lot in the last, in recent months. And, and, but my response, what would, what would motivate people to be there right now? It's funny how God knows what I'm going to be preaching about, you know? And, uh, and sometimes he brings things to my attention that have to be from him. You know, I, know, I think I know what he's doing sometimes. Some of the reading that I actually turned to early this morning, the commentary on Luke 9, and the writer says this when he's applying this text to us. He says, 
Those who wish to pursue spirituality as a hobby will not discover its blessing. Jesus makes that truth clear by showing that even the highest commitments to family come in second place. We may be asked to go minister in places where our families may not be near. We may be asked to take risks for the sake of the gospel that no sane person might take. We may have to stand up for integrity in situations that might cost us dearly. That line there kind of jumped out at me. We may be asked to take risks for the sake of the gospel that no sane person might take. I thought it was interesting that that was kind of my response to reading about these missionaries in Haiti. What were they thinking? Now you may be thinking this, as I am, have. God doesn't call everybody to go to Haiti. And you'd be right. I don't... It doesn't call us to be missionaries necessarily or overseas missionaries. I think everybody's a missionary. Every Christian's a missionary in some sense, but it doesn't call us all to be overseas missionaries. It certainly doesn't call us all to go to a dangerous place to share the gospel, to minister at orphanages as this family's families were apparently doing in Haiti. But my temptation is to stop there. Maybe it's yours as well. Is to say, well, okay, whew, I'm glad he didn't call me to go to Haiti. You know? But the truth is, please hear this message. This is, this, is, this is a hard word from Jesus. The truth is the same call that will take you to Haiti in Port-au-Prince in a time of upheaval that will put your entire family at risk, that same call has come to you and me. Now, it may not be specifically to go there, but it is the same intensity it is the same level of commitment that has got to lead all of us to respond with questions like this. If he hasn't led us to go there, then what is he calling us to do here? What is he calling us to do here, right now? Because the call is no less intense. And you know, when, when, we, think about, when we think about stuff like that, we stuff up, think about people who are making these incredible sacrifices. It's got to make us reflect on the all-consuming nature of the call of discipleship. Some of the things that were in that commentary I was reading an excerpt from a minute ago, you know, helped me to think about how do you think about this as a Christian right here, right now? Lord, forget about Haiti for a minute. What does it mean when you go to school as a young person? What does it mean about your integrity when you stand up and you, you stand up for what is right and against what is wrong and you do the thing that is honest and you avoid the thing that is dishonest on the test or the paper? That is discipleship. When you're at school and, and all your friends are using social media to bully and to shame others and you, you say, I'm not going to be like that. My call to discipleship is to be a person of honor and respect and kindness. Surely it means that, right? That, you, that, your call, <coughs> that your call to discipleship in that context is to be one toward purity when everybody else around you is embracing the sexual licentiousness of our culture. To us, wherever we are, in our places of employment, that, that call of discipleship is calling us to integrity. And maybe it's to you. And I hope you'll hear this call. Wherever you are, 
that maybe in your place of employment right now it's to stand up against something that God is leading you to stand up for or against. Because there are trends and there are things that are going on. People are asking you to do things. There are, there are things going around you that you must be vocal about. It might be to certain kinds of jokes that people tell. But you know what? I feel, I feel even a little bit, I feel even a little bit uh, ashamed to, to talk about some of these, what, what may be lower levels of commitment, Right? Because Jesus is calling us to be willing to give it all. If he's calling us to give it all, maybe we'll be asked that. I don't know. Most of the apostles were. It seems as if the apostle John was not. So it doesn't mean that everybody's going to die for Jesus Christ. Most of us will not. Maybe none of us will. I don't know. As far as going to the place where we have to say, yeah, I believe in Jesus, knowing it's going to lead to death. Maybe that's not what's going to happen with any of us. But he's calling us to that level of commitment. And if he's calling us to that level of commitment, how does it apply to the day-to-day struggles and the day-to-day temptations that we have? When I was in Tanzania last week, I was asked, there was a leadership conference going on at which we were all teaching. And... and, um, they pulled me aside. They were, they were going to have a lunch for some of the alumni of the preaching school there. These guys are working in all different parts of Tanzania. Some of them may be joining us online. I know a couple of uh, my friends over there said they sometimes tune in to our worship service. So if they're joining in, we are so glad that you guys are here. Um, they asked me to share a word of encouragement to these guys. Uh, 30 or so guys who are preaching the gospel in different parts of Tanzania, and I think some up in uh, Kenya. And just said, just encourage them. Just take 10 minutes and uh, encourage these guys a little bit. So I, I did the best I could. But I walked out of that room. You know what I was thinking, right? I walked out of that room and I was thinking, I don't feel worthy to encourage these guys who are laboring in very difficult places and environments. The call of discipleship ought to come to our houses, to our place, to our lives, I think, and convict us. Because this is not, this is not a call to lukewarmness. It's not a call to comfort It's not a call to a hobby. It's not a call to just another thing on your to-do list after you get all the other stuff done. Jesus is saying, if you follow me, it's everything. It's everything. This is a hard saying. And if you don't hear it as a hard saying, then I don't think you're hearing Scripture right. If I don't hear this in a way that makes me question my level of commitment, then I don't think we're hearing this right. Because you read this in the context of the Gospel of Luke and the life, death, burial, resurrection, ascension of Jesus. And he says to us, give, us, give me your all. And, um, in, the story, in the story of Jesus, and, and, and as he speaks to our lives, it's a little bit difficult at times to take the world of Jesus and bring it into the 21st century world that we live in. But at the same time, when, you, when we know that our lives are often arranged 
consciously around making us comfortable, that ought to throw up a red flag when there is simply nothing that we can read about in the New Testament about following Jesus that smacks of any kind of it's about being comfortable. What you say, what you do, where you go. It is about going wherever he leads you. That's what it means to be a disciple. If you're a Christian today, uh, I hope what Jesus says in this passage convicts you. I think we need to be convicted by this. I think all of us do. Wherever we are, whatever's going on in our lives, that it'll convict you when you go to work or school this week and, and that all of us will think, what? and I hope you will, because we all have to answer this individually, we'll ask, Lord, when I go to work, school, when I interact with a neighbor, when I'm online, what, whatever, what does it mean to follow you wherever you go? When I'm making a career decision, when I'm trying to decide what to major in college, where I'm going to go to college, whom I'm going to marry, whom I'm going to date, when I'm making these decisions, Lord, what does it mean to follow you wherever you go? It ought to convict us really, really to embrace this life of discipleship. If you're not a Christian this morning, you know, I've been talking, I think this text is, is talking to people who are following Jesus or thinking seriously about following him. And so really haven't spoken to, to non-Christians so much this morning. But it's a message that everybody needs to hear. Because I think that if you're considering the claims of Jesus, you need to understand what he's asking of you. Uh, you need to understand he's asking something pretty big. He's asking something pretty big. It's not just about walking down an aisle and taking a confession and getting baptized. I mean, that's superficially, externally, that's, that's what it looks like. But internally, there's something life-shattering going on in your life. And if you understand the claims of Jesus, then you understand he is, He's coming to you in, in, in your interest. This is not just some selfish God wanting. This is a God who wants what's best for you, and it is best for you to give your all to the one who loves you desperately and who died for you on the cross, was raised the third day, and is now reigning as your King and Lord, and, and he, he invites you to come to Him, giving Him your all and saying to Him, I want to be, I want to be yours. We'll baptize you today for, for uh, forgiveness of your sins, and God will, God will save you and bless you and walk with you. But it's a commitment to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I will follow you wherever you go. Maybe somebody's ready to say that today. Maybe, maybe some of us who've said it in front of a baptistry at a Christian camp some time ago, we said it. Maybe we need to say it again because we, uh, we haven't been really as committed as we should have been. Maybe it's just something you need to say to, to your God uh, during, during the song or when you get home this afternoon. Or maybe it's something that we can help you with. Uh, let's stand and sing. If you need to respond, I hope you'll come.